Um, we have just recently moved home. In fact, we're in the process of moving home. We're about 80% moved, I would say. Uh, but most of our, our, our home is still in various bags all over the place um, and probably going to stay like that for the next three years. Right? But um, because we've been moving home, I've been spending quite a lot of time on a website called moneysavingexpert.com. Have you ever heard of moneysavingexpert.com? It is awesome. Uh, the reason I'm on there is because uh, Martin Lewis, who's the money-saving expert, helps you to uh, get a good deal on your, your broadband or your electric bill and all that. So I've been looking for the best deals uh, uh, for all the things we need at home. Uh, one of these things, though, on the website caught my eye. It was a poll. They run these every so often. And uh, the poll on Money Saving Expert was this. If you could, would you cancel Christmas? Would you cancel Christmas? And just over 17,000 people participated in this poll. And the results are less than encouraging, shall we say. Um, people who uh, responded were divided into one of 11 different groups, uh, depending on age, gender, religion, and uh, so forth. And let me just say this, the only group that actually voted to keep Christmas were those parents of school-aged children or younger. That was about 16% of people that wanted to keep Christmas. The rest, because of uh, you know, singles, people who are uh, grown-up uh, children, who had their own grown-up children, grandparents, those of different religions, uh, both male and female, wanted to cancel Christmas. And I hope that that uh, just cheers you up and fills you full of uh, festive cheer this evening. But um, I don't know if that uh, is where you are when it comes to Christmas. Maybe you want to cancel Christmas as well. It's just too much money. Hang on a sec. Is that better? Yes. Um, costs a lot of money, a lot of organization, a lot of stress, a lot of heartache. Is it really worth it? Well, what I want to do, as I said, over the next few moments is to try and uh, tell you and try and explain and think with you uh, about whether there is any point in hanging on to Christmas, given that so many people, according to Money Saving Expert, want to get rid. Um, is it worth gathering year upon year, talking about these stories, reading these Bible verses and singing these songs? Is there anything to it? Is it really worth it? Or should we just cancel Christmas, as the poll suggests, and, uh, and do away with it? So what I want to say over the next few moments is I want to ho hopefully help us to see, uh, first of all, that Christmas happened, number one. I want, I want to also think about why Christmas happened. And thirdly, I want to leave you with a challenge about how to get into the Christmas spirit. Okay? So that Christmas happened, why Christmas happened, and how to get into the Christmas spirit. Okay? That's where we're heading. So, first of all, that Christmas happened. Because before uh, we want to understand the significance and the meaning of Christmas, we need to establish whether it actually happened or not. Or is it just a nice story, a fable, you know, uh, just to warm the cockles of your heart, a stirring narrative, rather like reading Charles Dickens or watching a, um, a Christmas movie? Uh, or is there more to it than that? Is there more substance to the Christmas story? Because ultimately... Uh, if Christmas didn't actually happen, then it really is just a commercial event, right? It's just a, an event designed to, to get more money out of us by big business. It's maybe just an event to get a bit of time off of work. But if Christmas didn't actually happen, then it's just a, uh, um, there's no content or basis to our celebrations. But if it did happen, as we've just been singing and reading about, then quite frankly, if what we are reading about and singing is true, then it, it changes everything. Uh, all, all we know about the birth of Jesus uh, comes from uh, the two gospel accounts in the Bible, Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. 
And Luke, you see, begins his gospel account uh, by saying right up front that he has investigated the eyewitness testimonies, those who were there at the time, and he's recorded everything he has seen and they have heard. And he presented his findings to his readers so that they might have certainty about the life of Jesus. And so when Paul read to us that in the days of, of Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, Luke is saying that he's not, you know, this isn't just a bit of waffle, uh, but this is the work of a, a historian. This is someone who's locating the events of Jesus' birth in actual time and actual space. This actually took place when Caesar was the king of the Roman Empire. So it's not just a once upon a time, uh, far, far away, but actually something that happened somewhere in the world at a certain time and a certain place. That's how he begins. What, what about Matthew, the other gospel writer? Uh, he begins his gospel account by, by a, a family line, a family tree, chase, uh, tracing um, the, 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 the family line of Jesus through his father, Joseph, all the way back to the old kings and back to Israel and, and even further back than that. And what Matthew is saying is that Jesus didn't just arrive on earth in a bubble. Uh, he wasn't just disconnected. Jesus has history. He has family. He has lineage through his earthly father, Joseph. It didn't just come out of the blue. So if, if it happened as the Bible writers claim it happened, if these records that we're reading are reliable accounts, then, then we need to look seriously together at some of the claims that are made about the significance of Christmas. And we've been reading and, and singing these things already. So let me just say this. If, if Christmas actually happened, as the Bible writers would have us believe, uh, then it means this. It means there's a promise of freedom from our enemies and an end to oppression. That's what happens if Christmas actually happens. It means that there is the coming of world peace because the Prince of Peace is on his way. It means there is the coming of a Savior bringing restoration and forgiveness if Christmas really happened. It means that there is righteousness and justice if Chris Christmas really happened. It means there is good news of great joy for all people if Christmas really happened. Now, I, I don't know many of you here. Most of you are, are visitors. I don't know where each of you are, what's going on in your lives. But I do know this from personal experience and from talking to many people at Christmas time, uh, uh, we often see it's a season that just evokes many, many feelings, many uh, experiences, many issues, many things coming up to the surface in our lives that are often sort of buried or we, we forget at other times in the year. Good things, but, but mostly bad things come to the surface in our, in our you know, tensions and our families and, and all that. But here's the thing, folks. If Christmas is true, then it is good news for us. So let me say this. If you need peace, then Christmas is for you. If you need joy, then Christmas is for you. If you need healing, then Christmas is for you. If you need restoration, if you need forgiveness, then Christmas is for you. If you crave a world defined by justice and right living, if you want to see an end of war and poverty, then Christmas is for you. Because that is what Christmas is all about. That's what Jesus came to do. And if you believe that, then that changes everything. So we thought to ourselves about the basic question, did Christmas really happen? That Christmas really happened. And the writers of the Bible certainly think this was a historic event we're talking about here not just a made-up story. But I want to move forward now a little bit and think about why Christmas actually happens, why Christmas happens. 
That Christmas happened. Why it happened. Sarah uh, earlier read from Isaiah, and she said, Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in deep darkness, on them has light shined. She was reading from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, and Isaiah's world was much like our own today. There was great uncertainty in his world. There was, there was the fear from powerful nations and political movements in his world. It seemed to be to them that God had walked away when we needed him most. And when we look and see in our own world, we intuitively know by looking out and looking around ourselves that the world is not now as it should be. There are wars, there is poverty, there is a refugee crisis on a global scale, there is political instability in our own country. Our own everyday experiences tell us that this is not the way it should be, whether it is bereavements or tragedies or, or broken relationships or financial problems, even if it's frustrations in your own career or a sense of emptiness. Things are not as they should be. We know that deep down. Something is deeply wrong. But as Isaiah points out, and as we've been singing this evening, the light is coming. There is to be no more darkness because of Jesus. And we heard it read to us by Isaac. Uh, John, the first reading of the night, John 1. Jesus is the light. He's the light that gives life to all people. See, that's why Christmas happened. God sent his son, Jesus, to be the light of the world. He came to give us life. And he did this not because God had walked away from us, leaving us in darkness, but he sent his only son because we as a people walked away from him into the darkness. We left the light and we preferred the darkness. That's how we intuitively know that the world is not as it should be. There is great darkness, you see, because we as humankind and us as individuals have in a million different ways wandered away from God. Just think with me for a moment. If you were perhaps God in his position and he created this, this people, humanity, to be in loving, wonderfully balanced, beautiful relationship with you, but then they walked away, they turned their backs on you, what would you do? If it was down to me, thank God it's not, but if it was down to me, I'd probably crush the world to dust or send some giant fireball to, to burn it all up to pieces and then start again, start from scratch, right? Maybe you would do something similar. God would have had every right to do that. And yet we see at Christmas that he chose an alternative route. Instead, he chose the most costly option to himself. He sent his son, his only son. He sent his most treasured possession into the world that had walked away from him into darkness so that we might have light. He offered us a way back to him, us sinful and fallen and broken and messed up human beings like you and me. We can come back and know God and be restored, and receive peace, and forgiveness, and hope, because of Christmas. So when Caesar Augustus was in charge, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, an unmarried teenage girl gave birth to the Son of God, behind a pub on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And they, they put him into the feeding trough, because there's quite simply nowhere else for him to go. See, Jesus, the Son of God, was born homeless. He stepped down into the darkness, into the humility of that situation for you and for us. Fast forward several decades. 
when Jesus was in his early 30s. And those two gospel writers tell us that on the cross when Jesus was crucified, it came to midday, which as we all know is supposed to be the brightest time of the day, right? The sun is highest and strongest in the sky. And yet, according to Luke and according to Matthew, who are convinced they are reporting to us history, they say that it went dark. For three hours, it went dark. Blackness in the middle of the day. Can you, can you believe that? Why did this happen? What are they getting at? What are they pointing us to? They are saying to us that on the cross, Jesus was taking upon himself darkness. He, physical darkness for him at that time was, was the symbol of the infinite darkness that he took upon himself, our sin, our wandering away, our brokenness, our separation from, from him. Jesus took it on himself. He did what you and I could never do to enter the light. He did it in our place. And in him, there is a new day. In him, hope becomes reality. That's what Christmas is all about. But then it says he died and rose again on the third day. That's getting at what Isaiah meant when he said the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Not just referring to Jesus' birth, but also his death and his resurrection. Light, joy. That is why Christmas is good news. That is why it's a source of great joy. That is why we gather year after year, week after week in this church to talk about this good news. Because it is good. And it changes everything because after Christmas becomes Easter. So we thought about that Christmas happens very briefly. We thought about why Christmas happened. And thirdly and finally, I just want to get to how we get into the Christmas spirit. How do we get into the Christmas spirit? Because if everything that we've been thinking and talking and singing about is true, and I believe it is, and we do as a church, then it changes everything. It will change everything. And if it is true of you, then it will change you. You will go from seeing Christmas as a basically commercial time of the year for a few days off of work. You'll go from that to seeing it as a rich and life-giving and awe-inspiring moment in the history of humankind. When you understand what Christmas is really all about, what God did for you, it will radically transform your view of yourself and the world you're in and the people around you. You will see Jesus not as a character in a nice religious story, but he will become your Prince of Peace, your wonderful counselor, your savior who went to the cross for you. If you see Jesus like that, then you will get into the Christmas spirit like you've never experienced before. So how can you uh, respond as we close? How can you respond to the message of Christmas? Well, I've, let me just allow you, uh, lead you through three basic ways that we can all respond to the message of Christmas this evening. We can respond like the Magi, you know, the, those wise men that came several weeks after or even months after Jesus' birth. They were a group of intellectuals from, from the East. They were philosophers and scientists. They'd never heard of the Messiah. They, they, they weren't from the Jewish um, religion. It was new to them. But they began their journey from a long way off, and they followed the evidence. They followed towards Jesus. They investigated. They went where the star was pointing. And so after an honest assessment, they eventually ended up 
finding Jesus, coming to him, and worshiping him and bringing them their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh. So maybe that's like you. Maybe this Christmas message is, is new to you. And yet it has sparked something within you, maybe an interest to learn more. You want to investigate. You want to honestly wrestle with some of the big questions. You want to examine the Bible texts and examine other books and think it through. Well, if that's you this evening, we would love here at Foundation Church, we would love to, to journey with you through that. Um, on your seats, you might notice that we've put one of these cards um, about keeping in touch. If you would like to learn a little bit more about the church and what we believe in and how we can effectively help you in your questions and investigations, learning more about Jesus and, and the Christian faith, we would love you um, to connect with us by filling out one of those cards. And uh, as you go out, there's a table in the foyer. You can pop your card in the bucket and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, even if it's just to say, hi, how are you doing? How can we help you? Or, or if you have questions there and then, we would love to uh, just help you through that um, investigation. So maybe you're like the Magi this evening. Secondly, second response you might want to make to this is uh, you, might, you might be thinking more along the lines of the pantomime hero in the Christmas, sorry, the pantomime villain in the Christmas story. There's the, there's the guy called Herod, right? Herod the king. Everybody boos when Herod comes up in the story. Herod is the king who, who wanted rid of the new kid on the block. He, uh, of course, took extreme measures to make sure or try to make sure that there was no more of this self-proclaimed new king. But Herod there is there in the story to remind us that not everybody who hears the Christmas message is too thrilled to hear about it. Herod was someone who built his identity around his power and his influence and his achievements. And for him, Jesus was a challenge to all of that. He was a threat. And so Herod took steps to protect himself against this new king. Maybe you align yourself slightly more in his camp. The claims of Christmas and the Christian faith for you are just too much, too much to, to bear. You don't want to hear too much more about it. Maybe because... Um, you fear of losing too much if you accept Jesus as king. But let me say this, that unlike anything else that you look to in your life, your career perhaps, or your physical appearance, your reputation or your wealth or your health, all of those things can and will be shaken and will eventually fade away. But Jesus, the king, he will never disappoint you. He will never leave you. He will never fade away. So if this is you, I just want to encourage you to keep thinking, keep examining. We have some resources available for, for you particularly, but for anyone on the table again outside, a couple of books here we'd love to give you. They're completely for free, just to, again, open up these issues a bit more. Um, one here about why bother with church. Um, it's a really good little short read. And this one here, an even better Christmas, joy and peace that last all year. We just would love to give you these for free um, as well. So maybe uh, you think more along the lines uh, of, of Herod. Thirdly and finally, um, I just want to say that the third response, maybe you're like Mary in the Christmas story. She was told the message of, the Christmas, of Christmas by the angel, and she, she responded in great faith and great dignity. The angel, of course, came to uh, Mary. We heard the reading earlier on and said to Mary, uh, you're a young girl, but in nine months you're going to have a baby who's going to save the world, but it's not going to be your fiance. It's not going to belong to him. It's going to be from God's Holy Spirit. Are you up for it? Are you up for the challenge? 
She knew that believing the message was going to cost her. She would always be seen as the girl who got pregnant before she was married, something deeply shameful in her society. But despite the cost, Mary shows us that she trusted in God's plan. She responded in faith and she gave herself to him in response. And Maybe that's you. Maybe you're more like Mary this evening. Maybe you have seen Jesus in a new light and, and, and you know that he can only give you, so he, you need what only he can give you. He can give you that res- restoration, that forgiveness and that peace that only the King of Kings can bring. Maybe you've seen God and what he has done to win you to himself. And so you want to receive that gift of Christmas by trusting in Jesus this evening.